guys, welcome to the Water to Water podcast with Kristen and Kevin James. Uh, unfortunately, as you can see, it is just me hosting today. However, I am joined with the sons of Sergeant, my brothers, uh, Merlin Sergeant and Edwin Sergeant. Uh, welcome, guys, to this podcast. Obviously, uh, Edwin, you've already been here before, you've already spoken uh, to us before, but this is Mervyn just a debut with us. I'd like to welcome him. And of course, Edwin spoke. Uh, for the Prophecy and Probably episode, uh, where we looked at false prophecies and false miracles. Uh, but what we'll start off by doing is introducing ourselves. So we'll go with uh, Elders first, Age Before Beauty. Mominja, do you want to start off by telling us who you are, family, job, church, location, etc. Off you go. Hey guys, um, very grateful to be here, um, to be in uh, Kevin Christensen's fantastic uh, podcast. Although I have to admit, I don't listen to them every time, but I try and make up to it when I can. Um, I currently reside in Bristol uh, with my wife and my uh, nearly two-year-old daughter. And we go to an independent church here. Uh, I work, I'm a civil servant and I work uh, for the government. Uh, nothing very exciting, but, um, but yeah, that's it. Uh, over to Edwin. I am... A graduate student now. I've just graduated recently. I currently live in Essex uh, in Basildon. Uh, don't come and stalk us, please. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I currently live uh, with my parents, uh, living quite close to my brother Kevin Cha here as well. Um, yeah, just graduated and going to start work soon. So looking forward to that. Thank you for having me again, Kevin Cha. That's all right. uh, what, what are you planning to start working as? Uh, a graduate civil engineer. Graduate civil engineer, nice. Yep. He keeps going on about it. And uh, in case ladies, you're listening and watching, he is single and ready to mingle. I was just oh going to mention God. that. I was, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> Our young brother is, yes, is uh, to be married. And, yep. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pop that mama going to kill him. Oh, okay. Anyway, so let's get to it. Uh, that is, the idea is we're going to have two episodes. Uh, the first episode is we're going to talk about uh, are all of us as a family, especially specifically the three of us, uh, leaving the Malfama Church, and then uh, we also want to discuss specifically the reason, the main reason why we left the Malfama Church, which is the baptism, which is going to be another episode. Uh, Mojinja, how old were you when you left the Malfama Church? Or oh, maybe twenty-five. I'm not hundred percent. Yeah, I was twenty-one, twenty-two. So you would have yeah, been, yeah, 20, four years. So twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So about then, Edwin, you. Uh, I was around what. <laughs> 15? 16? 15, yeah. Yeah, 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 15. Yeah. yeah, so we've got about, let's say, on average 20 years of experience each uh, of being in the Martha Church. And we want to start off by saying we are grateful to the Martha Church for everything they've done for us in terms of uh, giving us firm foundation. Uh, they gave us the necessary tools to be able to read the Bible, study the Bible. I think, of course, our parents had a big part to play with it as well. I'm sure both of you will agree. Yep. Uh, with uh, Bible uh, studying the Bible when we were home, making sure that we woke up in the morning, read the Bible. We had more. Or you'd get beat. Yeah, we'd get beat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, morning a prayer, evening prayer where we read the Bible, we sang songs. So all of those things were really important to us and helped us be who we are at the moment. But of course, the church helped with that as well. And in this episode, I want to make it clear that we aren't going to be having a go at the church. We aren't going to be ranting and raging. Uh, if you guys are here on here expecting that you're going to be disappointed what we're going to be talking about is things that we went through 
in the Martyrman Church and how, how it all ended, basically. And again, the three of us, I can certainly speak for me, I'll let the two of them talk for themselves. The three of us, we were a huge part of the Martyrman Church life. Uh, VBS, Sunday school, choir, youth meetings, ecumenical services, uh, youth fests, youth conferences, you name it, we were involved in some form or the other. So it's not like we were just, you know, backseat drivers, didn't really attend church, and we just had something against the church. I loved, I loved being part of the Martha Church. I loved my friends there. I loved the fellowship. Yep. And uh, leaving that was a huge thing. Okay, again, I'm speaking for myself, was a huge thing for me. Uh, and so we are not like those Achayamar who just come to committee meetings, right? who those uncles who just come for committee meetings. Don't attend church at all. Come for the committee meetings has uh, create issues. We're not like that at all. Uh, so that's the place where we are coming from. Do you guys want to add something to that? I'd like to say, like, because my experience with it would be a little bit more different compared to Kevin and Edwin, because a lot of my formative years and um, younger years I spent in Martha Church, as is Kevin. Kevin's only four years younger than me. Um, with the one in charge, uh, but uh, one of the things quite <clears throat> in all churches, you'd always have um, uh, believers who are, there are people who are quite fervent in their faith, probably have people who are quite tepid, and then you have people who are, you can say rebellious, but not in that. So the Mathema church was not very different, but amongst that, you know, the church itself, um, there are things that you could say the Martama church, church was just like in the cusp, in the cusp of getting to that next stage of spirituality, but they just stopped there. So you would have fantastic, one of the best, um, the reason for even today, at least some level of biblical knowledge that I have is because the, the, the uh, Sunday school was very good. You, had, you actually had exams, which it didn't matter if you failed, but they did have exams where they would test the knowledge of what you studied in the Sunday school that year. And so you had even things like VBS for uh, children outside of the church. You had multiple things where um, children growing up could come to some sense of um, like what the Bible taught. But then you, you didn't go so deep to actually let it affect you spiritually. And so I grew up just being a normal Christian because my dad was quite involved. But um, the re one of the reasons for me leaving, as Kevin and um, Edwin recounts, uh, recounted, has been about theological things. As, as obviously we moved to England, uh, we started coming here and we started getting exposed to more of what the Bible says. And once our minds and our spiritual hearts started reasoning about things that were maybe not what um, we believed anymore, which the church was, um, say, preaching or held to, we couldn't stay there anymore. So I could, so like you said, there were people who were fervent, but the reason why they were fervent was because they also attended extra meetings on top of, extra prayer meetings yeah. on top of, meetings that were happening simply at church, uh, because I always found out that the extra prayer meetings, so fasting prayer on Saturdays, uh, and then the all night prayers, right? right. It, although that was not necessarily a mathematic thing, it was more of a yeah. meeting that happened all, mm -hmm. all, all, all those many 
online prayers. But Edwin, I, I just, yeah, I just want to say, yeah, I had some of my best sleeps then, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> Mervich, I would get told off if he slept, but the both of us could sleep. Um, yeah, I, I really disliked it because uh, my dad wouldn't <laughs> let me sleep. I had, and I had no one else my age there, and it just really annoyed me. But yeah. Yeah, and I remember as much I would get like told off so much for sleeping, but me and Edwin would sleep and <laughs> anyway, that's by the by perks of being the eldest, I guess. Anyway, so uh, attending those meetings that helps with the being fervent thing, being more uh, wanting more of God, wanting to learn more of God, because uh, let's be honest with the sermons at the church where the Achin was speaking wasn't probably that theologically uh, meaty. It was very spiritually fulfilling, you could say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you could say that. Although there was, there was always. I, I would always say there was always sermons uh, focusing on the fruit of the spirit, where kindness, etc., all comes yeah. in. Uh, and also, you also mentioned the summer school and the VBS, and I think that's a great point to make. I think the VBS, the way the VBS is being run by the Martha Church, I don't think there is any VBS, not even in just Kerala or Kerala churches, I mean anywhere, the way it's being run is amazing. Uh, there's camps for how it's run, it, it's an amazing job. It is perhaps the most evangelical part of the Mathema church. Where yeah, which, people... if I can interject, which brings me to this point, the Mathema church focus on Jesus a lot. They, they preach the gospel and they preach about Jesus and who is his sacrifice. But then they stop with that. They don't speak about what's happened in Acts after Jesus has died, risen up, and what happens then. Yeah. Sorry, Kevin. So, yeah. So yeah. So when if you're a Hindu or you're a non-Christian, uh, I say Hindu because that's the people who would usually come at VBSs and Sharjah, and perhaps here, uh, you come in here, you hear this message, you hear the message about who Jesus is, what a sacrifice meant, and you hear the good news of the gospel. That is a great way that the Mahatma Church actually preaches, in essence, does the evangelism. But that's where it stops. There is yeah. no evangelism apart from, well, well, openly, apart from that. For example, in our church, NBC, at least there are people going out. There is a, first of all, there is a monthly evangelism meeting where we go out into the streets, where we preach, where we talk to people. Uh, we can always question its efficacy. Is it effective? Uh, I would argue it is because there are people who come to this church after after we've had conversations with them. Uh, but there is that as well, not just VBS and that be the end of it all. So I think the Martha Branch does do a, many good things. They're great on social action as well. They do a lot of things in terms of helping uh, the people who need, like helping out in charities, etc. So there are a lot of things uh, they do. Do you guys want to add anything else to what we've just discussed? 100% I agree. Like one of the best memories I have, because I think your experiences in Dubai and Sharjah were—I was quite young to to really remember a lot of things. But here, especially in the in the UK, having left you know Dubai and my friends there, and then coming here, some of the some of my good friends I would say at that point of time were from the Martima Church, and like every youth camp, every summer youth camp had like such like amazing like people such amazing friends who if you're listening shout out to you guys <laughs> but yeah i'll, I'll definitely say there were some really good friends um uh, but yeah 
Yeah, that was probably one of the negative points of leaving the Martima Church. Absolutely, because you're breaking up that friendship and fellowship with them. Okay, uh, what I want to do is I want to talk about, because there will be people who are from a non-Martima background. Uh, I just want to talk a bit about the Martima Church now, uh, just to give a brief history of the church. So uh, Martima Church was formed by Abraham Malpan. He was a reformer. And uh, some of the things that he did as part of the Reformation was uh, he removed icons and statues from the churches. Uh, he removed praying for the dead. He removed praying to Mary and the devotion to Mary. Uh, he changed the doctrine of the Holy Communion. Uh, he removed oracular confession, so where you confess to the priests, uh, like one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, and most importantly, it was the Reformation ensured that the central message of the gospel, which is that your salvation is based on the faith in Jesus Christ. It is your faith in Jesus Christ that saves you. Uh, salvation is not in following the church's tradition, um, but it is in Jesus Christ. It's not in the uh, following or carrying out of the church's sacraments, but it is in the finished work of Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ alone. Okay, so that was a brief history of the church. Do you guys have anything to add to that? Uh, no, not really. Um, okay, uh, so we'll get into it. Mamita, do you want to talk about how it was for you now in more detail about how it was for you to leave the Muslim church? So the seeds, I guess, into leaving uh, Martama Church has to be even back before we moved to England. So while we were in Sharjah Martama Church, um, I enjoyed my time there with all the people, uh, my fellow people from my you know school year or Sunday school year, and other because uh, me and Kevin we were in the choir, so we had friends that way, and other people that you socialize. We used to have people who uh, we used to go out Christmas, Christmas carols with. So we had a range of people across the years, but none of them was, none of those relationships or um, influences had anything to do with spiritual life. So the spiritual part of my life um, is because of my dad and mum, my dad more, because obviously he heard of these prayer meetings that used to be held. Um, not in the church, specifically outside of church. My dad used to take me to, and Kevin, um, and maybe Edmund, he was listening. Edmund, he took all three of us, yeah. So, um, one of the other uncles, call them, in uh, church used to rent and have um, uh, preachers over, and they would be more like, not really Pentecostal, but uh, more like ecumen ecumenical, like, uh, who used to come and just preach. And obviously, uh, even though at that point, my heart wasn't really, uh, or my mind listening to everything happening. Uh, later when we came to England and we were lacking that kind of um, spiritual like songs and worship that we couldn't get, um, we started attending Monday prayer meetings. And my mum started taking us, I believe my dad was there, he joined us a bit late, but we started going there and we found this thing, this, um, you could say, alternate source of um, getting to learn the Bible, have this session of uh, sun worship and, you know, prayer. And yeah, so these things influenced us. Um, obviously, we had uh, different uh, preachers uh, come and speak. And while this was influencing us, um, particularly me, uh, you were kind of getting a more deeper understanding of what is being said in the world, in the word, and what uh, exactly um, certain things, certain principles and certain doctrines 
that were maybe not explicitly like preached in the church, but the church maintained that was quite contrary to what the word actually says. For me, what uh, I think God in his great wisdom uh, put little uh, breadcrumbs along the way. I used to have to work for nights. So I, I studied, did my uh, education uh, and degree in an undergraduate degree during the week and I had to do night shifts. So more often than not, um, I used to have a Sunday night shift and a Saturday night. Obviously we went to church on a Sunday. I'll be very honest with you, after um, I started going uh, for work and then going to Sunday, uh, Already, I didn't feel like the church worship session, the official worship, uh, actually provided anything for my um, spiritual growth. Now, I wasn't thinking of a spiritual sense more like it was just boring. You'd have people there. I used to be in the choir and I, I could see as I stand and sing people who were definitely hadn't done night shift uh, work were sitting and sleeping there. And I had to be very attentive and singing. And I had to keep my eyes open, literally like this, and try not to sleep. And so uh, as time passed and my parents and my brothers can attest, I just like, I, I want to sleep. I'm tired. I'm not coming to church. And they, they can quite clearly, and people who are in Mathma Church now and my friends from before, they can quite easily attest. I, I stopped coming quite regularly simply because, firstly, I was tired and the service just didn't interest me. Eventually, at the point near enough when we were, at least me personally, was preparing to leave the church, I found a lot of the uh, worship things that are still being held and part of the uh, Mahatma, let's say, worship uh, on a Sunday or whenever. Uh, a lot of things that people are doing, whether it's the incense or whether it's uh, the bowing or the reading of certain passages, I just felt there were unnecessary uh, that's what that, that was what kept coming up in my mind so even when I was at church and attending it I was like this is a lot of these things these steps these uh, particular uh, move left move right or what are the other things it just seemed I'm sure at one point the forefathers did have a reason for that but yeah I just felt it was unnecessary and then those are the little little bits of um, things that kind of piled up eventually and um, yeah, as we'll discuss later, baptism, uh, we had discussion of baptism that uh, kind of broke uh, the camel's back, the last straw on it, really. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what you said, a couple of things to say is that you said you mentioned the people were asleep during the service. That that happens even in, uh, <laughs> in yeah. churches. I can attest to that. Uh, and then the other thing, the worship being boring now, you said you stopped attending Sunday morning at Mathama Church, but you did start attending worship at another church in Blackfriars. But um, it was different because uh, one, the word, so this again, this is what I was saying. So um, when I when I was um, attending Mahatma Church and doing the night shifts, uh, going to church was just like a routine. You, you just went there because obviously your parents are going there. And then I had to go there as part of the uh, choir. I think I left the choir because I wasn't being committed enough to go to it. I can't remember now. It's been so long. But um, uh, it's just, like I said, it just felt boring for me. I'm sure 
some people might take offense if you're still part of the church. I I don't mean offense. It's it's just me personally. I just found the the sermons. Obviously, it's um, the bishops or whoever decide what should be spoken up of. You probably have um, a season where you go through, let's say, during Lent. You have certain topics like before Jesus's death and crucifixion. So. You have topics, but other than that, a lot of the uh, speeches and pre and, and whatever the action um, prepares was very, um, lack of a better word, clinical. There's nothing uh, sincerely passionate or spiritually renewing in that um, for my soul. So I just got bored. So, yeah. So the reason why you started going to Christchurch Blackfriars was not only because well, because you still work now, just because the word was strong, including and the worship as well. Yeah. Well, I had one other culprit, and this is, his name is Subin Matthew. Um, I didn't go to Christchurch because I found it. It's because Subin had a, a friend in university who was part of Christian Union who went to Christchurch, and then when Subin attended the service a couple of times, he was like, "Mervin, I think this is a good church. Can you come in?" So I said no for like two or three months, actually. And eventually at one Sunday, he's like, just come along, just come along. It's a nice church, blah, blah, blah. And then I attended. And then I was like, okay, and then what he says is reasonable. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, lovely. Edwin, do you want to say about how it was for you now? <laughs> yeah. Um, I obviously wasn't as old and I didn't like think about like individually about everything, you know, these are specific reasons, but I think you guys and like Subincha and Linchichi, specifically Subincha as well, um, have like went through the reasons of why we're leaving as well. But mainly, well, for me, looking as a kid, mainly again, it comes back to the traditional practices and the unbiblical practices that we can just not see in scripture. Um, those are the main points but again that's not me finding it it was like kind of given to me through either you guys or like Subinchal or someone else through the spiritual manipulation of <laughs> and everyone Subinchal, else. Yeah. we manipulated you okay uh <laughs> you also wanted to talk about how it was when you actually left so tell me because you told me this a few days ago right how when you went to remember the last youth conference the both of us went to i think it was 2013 yeah 2013 do you want to talk to that? About how uh, yeah, sure. So in my last, well, our last, like, we used to attend a lot of these youth camps every summer. Um, these Matama youth camps is really great. It was, it was, like you said about the VBS, it, it had a more charismatic sort of feel. There was more worship. There was more, a um, lot more youth. So you'd be around with people who are a lot more of your own age. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, it was good to be there. Uh, but, at my final, I think the final time, it was like the last hurrah for us, basically, with all of our friends and stuff. We've been baptized at this point, haven't we? Yeah, we had been yeah I, I think so, yeah. And it was... Yeah, yeah. We, I think we, you guys had left the church as well. Yeah, we yeah it was just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just us being, you know, saying goodbyes and stuff to our friends. So we went there and, yeah, all of a sudden there were like these... Like, whenever you'd sit down for breakfast, you'd be sitting across some random uncle or auntie or whatever and they would start a conversation so they would say you know Mone where are you from uh like you know what church do you go to me being me I was like a kid so I just said the truth I was like oh I'm now going to a Pentecostal church uh I'm not part of the Martha church anymore 
and they would just give you well they gave me anyway this this dirtiest look as if <laughs> as if i just killed someone anyone. but uh, it's some individual people and it's not like just at one point i would walk past them maybe across the couple of days that we were there and you could just see <laughs> you could just see the obviously they would look at me they, they would look at me distinctly but I'll, me as being a kid i'll just smile at them and then like a couple of seconds later it's almost like cogs turning their head they're like oh it's just a kid and then they'll smile back but you could tell in the first couple of seconds they just gave you that dirty look as if you had like something on top of your head saying i'm a pentecostal <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so luckily i had uh, this friend of mine uh, let's say his first initial is jay let's call him jay um he was a really good friend and whenever these uncles and aunties did come up to me and stuff he would like be like don't worry about it he's a good friend of mine and he, he, they would say they would tell him or oh, be careful of this pentecostal boy because he'll um convert you <laughs> he'll convert you uh, from being a mathma um from being part of the mathma church and he'd say don't worry about it and we would just go off and play football or whatever but uh like yeah like it was good to have friends like that who didn't really care but also it was weird to see like grown adults having that sort of reaction to like younger children and stuff but more on top of that i that certain friend whilst i was leaving well whilst we were pretty much leaving he felt quite sad that we were leaving and he had a conversation about um why we left and i had conversation about baptism and certain you know reasons for leaving and he would say you know why didn't you and your family just you know be baptized and come back to the church because i'm bearing in mind what well, he, he was like 15 years old but for a 15 year old to know that obviously he must have heard from his parents like other families are doing this or just rumors or whatever so it's quite that that was a weird topic that there are people within the there's a batch of people within the mark the church who do baptize and may not believe completely in the, what the Mahatma Church believes, but they still go back because of fear or just tradition, whatever it is. So I he was asking me. Yeah, I think we'll get into that in the next, uh, when we talk about baptism as well, because that's that's a key point. And yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I still remember the youth conference. It was, I really didn't want to go. I really didn't want to go, but my friends, uh, a few of them, the boys dragged me basically. And they said, oh, you know, Oh, we know you got baptized, but if you come to this conference, your mind will be changed and you can come back. And you know, one of yeah. them threatened to baptize me again into the mouth of my church <laughs> as a joke, as a joke. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, unfortunately, his threat hasn't worked yet. And I'll be meeting oh. him tomorrow, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, that'll, that'll be quite interesting to see him again. But yeah, I, I met a friend who is currently in Achim, and his dad was at this conference so this was many many years before he became an action mm. and his dad asked me the same question oh what church do you go to because i was obviously friends with the son and i said yeah uncle i don't go to a mark my church anymore i'm a pentecostal and his face dropped mm. it was like as if i ran over his cat <laughs> and not just once but twice and then took it and then i shoved it into a bin uh, he was so disappointed and he was like, oh, why'd you go and do that? Why'd you get baptized? Uh, it's all like Kalataram, it's this and that. And I was just listening, took it on. I said, okay, uncle, okay, fine. I said, uncle, it's my decision, etc." Uh, and then we just, we just left it on there. It was a bit awkward, but yeah, it is, it is sad. And uh, breaking friendships and 
it, it wasn't a breaking of friendship. It was more that the relationship is not going to be the same. Same, yeah, absolutely. Not going You're to, not going to see them. Yeah. You're not going to see them every week. And because of that, a lot, lots of relationships have died. Although there have been some relationships that have been maintained, right? But a lot of those relationships have died. Okay. Uh, now you both spoke about yours. Let me speak about mine now, how it was for me. Uh, yeah, it wasn't just a one-off thing. Although a baptism was the big, like, you know, if there is like a hit on the head, which says, mate, this is it. Mm. Now's the time to go. Baptism was that hit, but there were other reasons that led to uh, it as well. Uh, I'll start with the simplest one. So something I just stopped doing uh, during the service was the drawing of crosses. Now, uh, I'm aware that there is symbolic meaning behind it. Okay? I'm aware that it means a lot of things. And I'm aware that if you watch a movie like Kaduva, right, where Prithvi Raj draws a cross after he beats someone up, I know it looks amazing. It looks really cool. But for me, the, the, the point was it's not in scripture. And so if it's not in scripture, if it's not in the Bible, if it's not said in the Bible, uh, why are we doing it? So I stopped doing it and it was quite funny. Uh, so because we're, I'm in the choir and of course everyone can see me not drawing the cross, mm. everyone else is drawing the cross. And at one of the choir meetings and people listening to me who were in the choir meeting will know that I'm speaking nothing but the truth. Uh, the Zanti said, some people uh, currently in the Mahatma church are not drawing crosses anymore in the service, during the service. And then one of our relatives who was in the choir said, uh, I was raised in CSI and in CSI, there is no real drawing of the crosses, which is why I don't do it. And of course he thought it was aimed at him. That is <laughs> aimed at him. <laughs> and then his auntie said, no, no, no. It's somebody who's been raised in the Mahatma church and has been a part of the Mahatma church all their life. Someone has stopped, that person has stopped drawing the cross. And I knew it was me. And I said, well, if from the Bible, you can find a verse that tells me that I need to draw a cross. I will draw the cross right now in front of you. And of course, Auntie couldn't say anything. The Achim came, in, uh, Achim came up and said, oh, you know, it's not said in the Bible that you need to do it. And you can't force anyone to do it either. It's up to each individual. And so we can't really do anything about it. So it's up to him. It's up to people to draw it uh, or not. So uh, things like that. So you've got the drawing of the crosses uh, and other things that, you know, kind of irked at me. Uh, it was like the idea that the head bishop, so the head Tirumeni, sits at the throne of Thomas, of Thomas. Yeah. So the head of, for example, the Pope sits at the throne of Peter. Yeah. The Archbishop of Canterbury sits on the thro throne of Andrew. So each of these uh, head mm. bishops are sitting on each person's throne. Well, for Thomas's throne, there is the Mahatma Church head bishop, the Jacobite head bishop, the Syrian, uh, sorry, the Orthodox head bishop, the, uh, you know, there's so many. Yeah, there's not so a lot of space. Like, uh, there's, there's only one throne. Somebody's, one of those people are not sitting on. There's <laughs> not a lot of space in that. <laughs> so things like that, the idea that the, the head bishop sits on the throne of the apostle, uh, things like that. And then, of course, uh, we mentioned baptism. Uh, and when, when like, like I said, it was a big hit on my head, baptism. And when I came to know about it, I... When you find the truth for the first time, you can be quite, it, you, it can say you're on fire. So whilst I was on this fire about learning about baptism, I went and spoke to a few of the youths of the church. I went out my way, started speaking to my youth and said, well, 
But think about it, look at this. Do we think that this is the right thing and, you know, whether we should be doing this, even that, because this is right. Mm-hmm. And they responded to me and, you know, we spoke and Achin found out about this. And uh, Achin said, fair credit to him. Okay, it takes a lot of courage to do this. A lot of people will just put it on, throw it on the bus, won't really talk about it, won't really even uh, have the courage to do anything about it. But fair play to Zachin, he said, uh, well, this is what's going to happen. He made an announcement at church. He said, on this day, on this Sunday, we're going to discuss it for, we're going to discuss baptism. About 30 minutes, let's say. Uh, if, I, if my memory serves me correct, it was about for 30 minutes, he said. And he said, I'll speak for 15 minutes, 15 minutes. And whoever else wants to speak about it can speak the remaining 15 minutes. Okay, that was, that was the thing. And I said, in my head, I was thinking, great. This is a great opportunity. So me and Mervyn Chesubin, Cha, uh, we prep, we prepare. Uh, we come on the day. And uh, like I said, it was meant to be 30 minutes. I can speak for about 25 minutes. And the remaining time we've got is about five minutes. And so now we've got to say everything we can in the five minutes. But of course, the meeting doesn't end in 30 minutes. It keeps going on and keeps going on and keeps going on. Anyway. Uh, lots of discussions happen on that day. We talk about the Bible. We go to the Bible. Uh, we prove from the Bible that, well, I won't get into it. But we prove certain things from the Bible. Edwin, you were there. You were witnessing it. You were listening. Yeah, one second. I would, I would also say, if I remember correctly, the action did cut you guys off. He I, off. Did he? I, I think it was with, with the time. I think he, he did, did yeah. yeah. he I did mean, cut you guys off. Listen, in the end of the day, I, I think, yeah, he, he might. I, I think he cut Kevin off. Yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah, I mean, I can't remember that, but bearing, I, I still thank him for the courage that he showed. Yeah. Because that, that's not what a lot of people would do. Anyway, would do, yeah. the point I, wanted, I want to say is this. Remember when I said Abraham Melpon did the Reformation and he said, he said, one of the things he came out with was faith was through the work of Jesus Christ. Putting your faith and trust in Jesus is what's saving you. One of the last points that were raised in that meeting, I wish there was a recording of that somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, was that faith is not necessary for salvation. That was mm-hmm. a, one of the last things that was said in that meeting. And that was when I knew that if people are questioning that in the church, that is it for me. I don't need to be a part of this church. I mean, they were trying to defend their point in baptism and that might've come out as a way to get away mm-hmm. from it. And they threw something out there. But anyway, that was it. Anyway, what do you guys have to say? on that from what you remember um i'm trying to think of what i don't think i made any good points that day actually because uh i think kevin and subin had covered quite a few i probably i think i went on a tangent on something but um from obviously people who was listening to us um and obviously of our criticisms of martha church and certain doctrines um I want to say is I'm not going to say I'm against, I I think the word tradition or is an evil word or, and therefore churches that follow tradition is therefore evil or similarly churches without any tradition that just makes them um, good by itself. No. So what I think, and I'm sure my brothers would say the same is um, they was a point when this brave um, bishop, Abraham Malpan took the courage to say, I think these traditions and these things that uh, you follow as a church is wrong. And therefore, he proposed this reformation, which obviously there are people 
who didn't believe in him, but there were people who did believe in him as well, uh, because he was bringing the facts from the Bible, not extra-biblical facts. Same way, I think, um, even if we have traditions, and I believe traditions are good in one way, worlds, people just sit, wake up one day and say, yeah, God told me this. So you have the Mormons who start like that. You have the Jehovah Witnesses who start like that. Lots of random new Christian religions saying, oh, God spoke to me as an angel. And this is not uh, for the last 2000 years. The church wasn't following <laughs> the right way. And so now God has given me this new book, which is an extension of the old book. But obviously pay more focus on this book than that. So one way tradition keeps us in line is if it aligns with what the Bible teaches, because the Bible is our yeah. foundation. If it aligns, we can say, OK, so that is not heresy. But obviously, if it isn't, it is obviously us believers, as it was back in the time of Acts, to review what things are against the biblical uh, doctrine and say, OK, this is not what we should be following. And therefore yeah. be able to step out and say, no, we're not following that. So that's one way, you know, tradition helps us go do what the Bereans did, do what the and go back to the scripture and search it, find it. Does it relate? And therefore follow what is in the Bible and leave everything else behind. Yeah, I was just going to get the reference for there. Acts 17, 11. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So what Moj just said there, folks, is exactly what we need to be doing. We look at what we're doing, or what are we here, whatever tradition it is, whatever thing that we're doing, listen to it, and then the Bible is saying they're eager, they were right because they because they went into the Bible and or they went into scripture and studied it. That's what made them uh, good, basically, or made them more noble. And so that's our calling to do as well. Uh, Edwin, do you have anything to add? Yeah, just following on with what Mermit just said, I think you have two choices then. Once you go back to the scriptures and you find what is the truth, you either stick, you know, you either reform and change mm -hmm. as a group what you believe and the actions of the church or the liturgy and the worship, etc., and reform it to what the scripture says, or you have to leave and go to a group of believers that believe in the same views and the scriptures that you find to be true. Unfortunately, I just don't, there are, I just know there are people, it doesn't have to be within the, just the Martha Church, but with a Jacobite, whatever, CSI, there are people within the, those churches that see the scripture and the truth, but there are fears and things that hold them back to either leaving or yeah, pretty much leaving that church. And following the word pretty, pretty much that's what all i have to say just, just one more point to add to that um if i mean most of us live in this world so we see what's happening it's quite evident there is quite a few um reformations happening in churches but it's not leading towards the word of god in fact it's leading towards the culture today because they're reforming what the church um what the doctrines what the traditions are because they want to appease or appeal to a certain group. I'm just going to say the rainbow flag, but yep. a lot of things are being reformed 
the other way around, unfortunately, and not yeah. to the word of God that we should be looking to. Yeah, lovely. Uh, and I think that covers everything that we kind of want to speak at that point. Uh, and you both mentioned uh, liturgy there and worship. Well, Edwin did mention liturgy and worship and how Manager mentioned you kind of mentioned it. Quite disparagingly said it, it was boring. I mean, not everyone will find it boring. Some people yeah. love the liturgy. Uh, they love the order of worship. But in my opinion, my humble opinion, I don't think the Martyr Church will grow as well as it should because of its liturgy. And what do I mean by that? Let me, before I get into what I mean by that, let me read this article below from the Martyr Church website, okay? And I'll leave the link. You, you'll find the link below. This is an article of faith on the Martha Church website about the liturgy by Reverend Manoj Matthews. And uh, this is how it goes. During the Reformation, especially under the influence of Pentecostal and charismatic movement, liturgical worship had been criticized and practically abandoned by many. The influence of this can be seen in the dilution of liturgical procedures of the Marthoma and the St. Thomas Evangelical Church of India. And then he goes on a bit and then he goes to this part and says, the Pentecostal churches, on the other hand, have rejected the liturgical style as a whole. In its stead, new worship rituals have in its stead, new worship rituals have been used. Even though the original intention was to remove all rituals and rites, effectively what it did was to replace the old rites and rituals with some other forms of rituals and rites. There are no bells, no incense, and no colourful royal clothes. They are replaced by mesmerizing repeated chanting of music, repeated over and over again. A technique which is familiar to the Hindu bhajans. Pastors replace priests, white flowing shirts and tongues and prophecies replace the royal robes. Thus, we notice that actually nothing has changed. They both have the same purpose and structure. They are achieved in different ways. This is essentially a cultural difference and nothing else. Now, there's a lot of issues with what Reverend Manoj has said here. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you some of them right now. He mentions the repeated chanting of music being quite mesmerizing, and that's, you know, but to be completely honest, you can get mesmerizing chants in the Matama Church as well, okay? I mean, we were lucky enough, especially in the Charge Matama Church, to be surrounded or to be in a choir that was so talented. Not, not saying the St. James Choir wasn't talented, they were good as well, but the amount of talent and when the worship was going on and when the chants were going on where the organists and the pianists were playing the music and the choirs were singing in harmonies that was mesmerizing okay that was really good like if you were there you'd feel like uh, you think that you're in heaven and there are plenty of repetitions going on in the worship as well in the liturgy as well there are times when you say on, on. you know you repeat it i mean that's these are all repetitions as well so if your choir is half decent, if your keyboard player is half decent, if your choirs, choir members can sing harmonies, the worship does become most mesmerizing. So the idea that this mesmerizing music is inherently Pentecostal or just Hindu budgets, uh, it's, it's inaccurate. Also, in some charismatic churches, in some Pentecostal churches, there is no in, you know, repetition of music for like five, 10 minutes. It doesn't happen. You will have to come to our church. You, you will see that. However, I will concede the point that there is more time in the Pentecostal church for a repetition of music. There is more time given over with that. But that's more to do with the fact that the liturgy is quite restricted, right? 
the liturgy, where it says you, can re- you have to repeat it three times, you can only repeat it three times. Mm. If there was an option where it said repeat this ten times or hundred times, that would, mm. that would happen. It's more to do with the fact that the liturgy is restricted in the Martha Church. Uh, some other things I've got here. Uh, pastors replace priests, you mentioned. Uh, I would just say no to that. There were no priests in the New Testament. None of the 12 apostles were priests, uh, or the other disciples were even priests, okay? Uh, not, not one of them. So the idea of having priests lead ceremonies in the New Testament church is completely unbiblical. And it is in fact a throwback to the Old Testament. We have one high priest, Jesus, and every believer in the church is part of the royal priesthood. We are all priests. There is no specific position of priests. So the idea that priests have been thrown off, right, by the uh, by the Pentecostals and the Baptists mm. is completely inaccurate. There was no, there were no priests in the first place. It was the Catholic and the Orthodox churches that introduced this. Uh, the Baptists and the Pentecostals, amongst other independent churches, went back to the original teaching. That's what happened. Uh, the next yeah. part, <laughs> the white flowy shirts, uh, it's listed as a replacement of royal robes. Uh, the priest's outfit is literally a white flowy robe. robe. <laughs> yeah. it's um, like Maya. I don't know what the Maya English for that is. It's literally white. So, and of course, not all Pentecostal pastors wear a white flowy shirt. Again, come to our church. Our pastor wears a suit. So, you know, that's it. Now, there are some cults within the Pentecostal church, like uh, TPM, yeah, where they have to wear white flowy sh- shirts and everything else. And they do various other crazy things. Uh, but those are the exceptions to the rule. So, you know, and logically, exceptions are exceptions of the rule, not the rule itself. Mm. Uh, and then, he, again, it goes on to say, we have tongues and prophecies that are replacing royal robes. But again, tongues and prophecies are part of the New Testament church. Yeah. Royal robes are not part of the New Testament church. Mm. Right? So who's, again, folks, go to the Bible, look at the Bible and look what's happening at your worship. Try and see which one's more in line. Is the tongues and the, uh, it's tongues and the uh, prophecies, is that more biblical or is that wearing r- royal robes? more biblical. Please check and uh, tell me. Now, Reverend Manoj does make a good point in the article about the liturgy and worship, where he says, this is essentially a cultural difference and nothing else. And I completely agree with the first part. There is a cultural difference. The sad thing about the Madhama Church is that the only way or the most reliable way that it's going to be growing is through and I've raised this up in a previous episode about Indian churches in general, is through either marrying people from outside the church and bringing people into that way, or uh, to having more children. Uh, because the evangelical side, apart from the VBS and things of that, that at that young stage, uh, it doesn't really bring people in. And moreover, the worship as well, it's quite... It's quite difficult for people who are not born and raised in a strict Malayali traditional way to be integrated into it. It's quite difficult. Uh, I, I remember this uh, when I was when we were in the Martha Church in in, um, in Saint James Church, London. Uh, there was this girl who would not attend all the time; would come sometimes. And then once I asked her, "Oh, why don't you attend? You know, more regularly?" Uh, 
And then she was like, oh, I go to a local Baptist church. And I got quite quite offended. I was like, in my head, I was like, well, what? Oh, why are you being so like, you know, why are you being so whitewashed, quote unquote, right? Why has your mind been, uh, quote unquote, uh, colonized? Uh, is my own worship not too good enough for you? And I was under that impression, but the reality is that because the worship is so steeped in tradition, it's difficult for third and fourth generation immigrant children to be integrated into it, unless, like I said, unless they've had a strict Malayali upbringing where the parents talk Malayalam a lot, and uh, then it's easy for them to find the service more malleable and more understandable. Uh, I'll give you an example. This Chris, Crystal and I, we went once to uh, an event where there was an where the English service was going on, uh, where the service was being read in English. This is in Southern Matama Church, and I pointed out to a phrase to her and said, "Okay, what does this phrase say?" And she said, "Well, it says, Lord have mercy." And then I said, "Yeah, that's what it says, but that's not how it's going to sound." Because when the priest says that he's going to say it in a tune, it's going to be said in a in a in a in a, in a different way. It's going to there's going to be a Syriac twist to it. I won't repeat it lest people think I'm offending people and things like that. So, but therein lies the real issue, right? If you are, let's say, English, and you go to a service like that, it's going to be very difficult for you to find that service. Uh, it's it's going to be deterrent. That liturgy is going to stop you from wanting to come back to the church. However, if you go to a church where English is being spoken more uh, and it's like mostly based on their understanding of English and how they speak and do it, do things that way, I think it'd be easier for them to integrate to that because it's not as culturally different. Whilst the Matama church is always going to be Malayali heavy, culturally speaking. And some of our Matama church listeners might listen and say, well, you know, we don't care. This is how we worship, this is what our tradition is, this is our forefathers' tradition. If it's good for them, it's good for us. Okay, and fair enough. You know, if that's the way you look at it, you're more than welcome to. Uh, but the but the truth is, if you gave your second or third or fourth generation uh, children, right, immigrant children, the opportunity to worship as the charismatics are or the Baptists and the Pentecostals do or if you tell them to go and worship all the time as the Matama church does worship, most people know which way they're going to bend. Most of us know which way they're going to choose. For example, when those youth conferences, the youth conferences that we used to go to, especially Edwin and I, we used to go to, in the night time, they would be, I don't know if you remember this, Edwin, in the night they would be worship, uh, after a lot of people have gone to sleep, they'll be worshiping yeah. exactly like it was at a charismatic meeting exactly like that now why is that happening if the matama church worship and liturgy is so good why is there now a space created for these people for these young people to come together and worship as if it's a charismatic worship right i'm not saying there was tongues being spoken and things like that but it was mm. pretty much that okay uh, happening in those services and some of you might say well you know we can't do that without an action we can't have a <laughs> Holy Kurban, but there's things called divine services. If the Matama worship liturgy is so appealing, they can have a divine service. Again, those of you who don't know, divine service is what happens when the Achan's not around. Okay, that's the worship order or the liturgy that people follow when the Achan's not around. So why why not do that? So for me, from the outside looking in now, 
it looks like the Mahatma Church, the cake and eat it. Where they want to keep this tradition, they want to keep these liturgy with them, but they also want to have the other worship as well. And it has worked, it may continue working, sorry. Uh, but the truth is, if we are to take Jesus' commandment and the, the Great Commission seriously, where, it's, where it says, go out, preach the gospel, uh, and make, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if we're doing that, if we take that seriously, the worship which we need to be using to help people uh, worship God, the liturgy which we need to be using to help people worship God, needs some serious rethinking. Or, like the Pentecostals and Baptists have, are completely removed from the worship. Okay? Because, again, like I said, the worship's too steeped in tradition. Speak about, if you can, if the both of you can, I'll, I'll step in later, about the symbolism, because symbolism is such a big thing. Uh, you mentioned, Mary before that, you know, moving to the right, taking a step to the right, you know, drawing the cross, um, all of that does mean something. A lot of this has not been explained to the people who come into the church, so most of them do it for the sake of doing it. But speak on the symbolism. Do you want to add something to that, Edwin or Mojo? How do you find it? I um, found, uh, sorry, can I just I quickly? Yeah. Um, I remember my, when we had the art competition, Right, we had all of these competitions and stuff within the church. I remember asking one of your close friends at that time um, about the incense thing. It was just such a weird thing to me, but I, I, I still don't really know what it means, but I remember him explaining to me so that I could write it down for the art project. It was like to show symbolically the presence of God. Um, I think it's and, the Holy Spirit, I think. Yeah, so that that was such a for, I, I don't know i'm presuming they've brought that from the old testament but mm. to me i i just found that weird in nowadays anyway well looking back on that anyways uh i'll add something to the end we'll go through what you want to say first and then okay. so while i was doing my research into why why is there a lot of symbolism in, within the liturgy uh, the biggest argument, well, the main argument was that, well, the Jews, when they were worshipping, they had lots of symbolism. So why can't we have symbolism right now? But my argument against that is, well, the point of all that symbolism, the point of all that worship, all that sacrifice that was taking place, you know, with the animals, etc. All of that was pointing to Jesus, right? All of that worship, that liturgical worship, uh, quote-unquote, during that time was pointing to Jesus. Everything in their worship was a shadow of things to come, or uh, in Christ's sake, uh, or a person to come. And so in Jesus, all that symbolism has been realized. And so now we don't have to worship similar to the Jews because we have the real thing. We have Jesus. The Jews never had Jesus. We have Jesus. So we can worship God the way that the early church historically worshipped. It was non-liturgical, right? There was no uh, things written down for the church to start reading and, you know, uh, burn the incense at this point or wear these royal robes. None of these things were there in the early church. And when I say early church, I mean the New Testament church. Uh, this is something that I found from a website called Got Questions. Uh, looking at scripture, there is not a prescribed form for a public religious service set forth for the church. 
At the same time, several New Testament passages do give us important ingredients that should be part of a healthy local church. Amongst these are the following. True fellowship, Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 46. The observance of the baptism and remembrance of the Lord's Supper uh, or communion. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 42, 46. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 to 32. Steadfast observance of the Apostles' doctrine, the reading of the Word of God, the teaching, preaching of the Word of God. Uh, Acts chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, prayer and praise with the dependence upon the Holy Spirit's direction. Acts chapter 2, Acts 13, 1 Timothy 2, Ephesians chapter 6. Evangelism and discipleship with all members of the church using their spiritual gifts to serve Christ as part of the body of Christ. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, Acts chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and Romans chapter 12. Uh, and my question is, of the things that are listed, I've just read out, are all these things happening within the worship service of the Mahatma Church? Uh, instead of all of this, in the Mahatma Church, people are steeped in symbolism, and a lot of the liturgical churches are the same way, right? Uh, we are, well, I say we, the, these churches are grabbing hold of symbolism like it's the real thing when it's not. Right? We've got Jesus, we have the real deal, we have the Redeemer with us, and we don't need to worship using these, you know, the, these symbols. The only yeah. two symbols, the only two symbols that Jesus did say and the apostles did do regularly was uh, the uh, baptism upon believing and two was the Lord's table. Yeah, uh, that's it. And our worship needs to have a psalm reading, singing of hymns, the word being preached. Again, Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3 for that. My request to those in the liturgical tradition is to question yourself, to ask, are these things that are mentioned in the New Testament, are these things happening? And what are we doing that is extra to the things that are meant to be happening? And do we need to have, do we need to have those things over what's actually been said in the Bible? That is my request to consider. Mahavichar, you're about to say something. Yeah, I just want to uh, kind of uh, make a nuanced point um, in terms for liturgy and um, uh, symbolism. Now, um, a lot of people would know, um, I would have heard of the Gutenberg Bible. Now, why is that? Why is the Gutenberg Bible for, um, so not important, but uh, well heard of? It's because it was the first Bible that was printed in a printing press. Now, before 1440, before the invention of printing press, not a lot of uh, people actually had the scriptures with them. And both because- you could read as well. Yeah, exactly. Not a lot of people could read. And even if you could read, I doubt the basic clergy or the monks um, had a copy of the Bible with each of them because you had to hand copy it, right? Which is why we have so many biblical manuscripts. Um, they have variations in terms of because people are copying and people being people, they may have uh, missed a word, added a letter. So till the printing press came along, which made it absolutely easy and faster for the word of God to be printed and spread across quite easily. I guess even through times of struggles or people when they didn't actually have access to those, the word of God, symbols and 
even repeated hymns were probably things they could learn quite easily. They could, I could quite easily say, even if they had, let's say, the Old Testament, and I mean the uh, Hebrew scriptures, I don't think um, it was quite easy enough to learn everything by heart. Um, they probably had the Old Testament scriptures because when we speak, uh, as, as Kevin quoted the um, Acts earlier about the Bereans, when Paul's letters were going to them, the Bereans, the scripture they were looking at wasn't the Paul's letters. They were going back to the Old Testament because the Old Testament, whatever uh, is in the Old Testament, is fulfilled in Jesus. So they were going back to the Old Testament, seeing if, is it resonating what Jesus said? And therefore they were looking at the Old Testament and seeing what Paul said. Does it line with that? And so till the 1440s, um, people would have had to use, um, and I am, let's say, sympathetic to it because they didn't probably have access to things where it was easy for them to relate to. For a child that can't read, that can't understand, they probably can sing a hymn. I'm currently teaching my nearly two-year-old daughter songs, and she can't say the entire thing. She can probably say bits and bobs, but it's easier for her to do actions. If it's an action song, it's easier for her to do things. So symbolism at that point was probably something quite easy for parents, the children's, or the priests, or whoever that point was. But that doesn't mean it was right, but it just worked for that point. But after that, you can see, less than a century after the printing press was when uh, Luther put up his 95 Theses. And even Luther, only the reason he got access is because the printing press started giving out. And then he was able to bring out and put up his notes and say, see, this is what. And people, why did the Reformation actually happen? Because people actually was able to read what he said compared to what the Latin Bible was saying. And then they were like, okay, so we can understand this. So obviously more people started learning to read, learning to read the word of God. And then that made them look at what was happening in the Catholic Church and say, wow. Our whole lives, we we're born and raised Catholic, and what's happening within the church and these things, it doesn't align with what the Word of God teaches. Yeah. And so even though I have that sympathy for people back in the day, I, I don't that have that much of a sympathy for people today. We can quite easily pick up your Bible, see what it's being said in there, compared to what's being taught or practiced in your church. So you have to choose between your church and the Bible at times, but there you go. That's the thing. That's that's the cost. I think. I think the, the takeaway message because we're gonna, we're going to call it. We're going to end it within the next few minutes. Takeaway message is, folks, read your Bibles. Have a look at your Bible and see whether w the worship that is happening in the church is uh, is in line with what's being said in the Bible. Okay. So on that note, folks, uh, I'd like to thank both my brothers Edwin and Malincha for uh, giving up their time and joining us this fine uh, evening and uh, being uh, and again uh, spending some time with us folks we are we don't want it to seem like a rant we're not ranting or raging i hope that we have been quite respectful i think we have been quite respectful and we are just raising challenges and when people hear challenges it is quite difficult mm -hmm. uh, and people can be quite defensive so please uh, take it from that front. Uh, we still have friends in the Muslim Church. We still love you guys, uh, and we still want to maintain our relationships. But the cost is to follow Jesus is to uh, take up your cross and follow him. 
And so we've got to ask ourselves again, is what we're doing biblically sound? Is what we're doing biblically correct? Uh, if it is not, what are we going to do about it? And the next episode, we'll be looking at specifically baptism, the three of us. And we'll discuss that in more detail. And I hope you uh, keep an ear out for that. Again, thanks, uh, Marvin Chan Edwin, for joining us today. And uh, I hope you have all been watered to water.